ETF Prime is hosted by Nature Racing, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. The Motley Fool LLC has been recommending individual stocks as part of their subscription newsletter service for over 30 years. Now Motley Fool Asset Management has taken the Motley Fool LLC's top 100 analyst-recommended companies and put them into a single passively managed ETF. It's an instantly diversified portfolio of 100 top-rated large-cap stocks with market-beating potential, all in one low-cost ETF. For more, visit fooletfs.com slash Prime. That's fooletfs.com slash ETF Prime. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me will be Leo Wald, CEO of Valkyrie, who currently offers two crypto-related ETFs, the Valkyrie Bitcoin Miners ETF, ticker symbol WGMI, great ticker symbol. And by the way, that ETF is currently the top-performing unleveraged ETF this year. Uh, and then they also offer the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF, ticker BTF, that's a uh, Bitcoin futures ETF. And actually, just last Friday, they filed with the SEC for yet another crypto-related ETF, the Valkyrie Ethereum Strategy ETF, which uh, follows a slew of Ether futures ETF filings last week. Grayscale filed first. They were quickly followed by Bitwise, Direction, Roundhill, and now uh, Valkyrie. And I do have some thoughts on why we're seeing those filings now. And then I saw yesterday afternoon, Valkyrie filed for a leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF. Ticker symbol, listen to this, would be BTFD. I'll, I'll let you think about that for a minute. But in any event, Lee and I will uh, discuss their two existing ETFs. We'll also dive into their broader crypto investment business because they do offer several crypto trusts for accredited investors. They offer uh, crypto SMAs. They have a crypto hedge fund, which is pretty interesting. So we'll cover those. And then we'll uh, close our discussion by uh, looking at the crypto markets overall. Should be an excellent conversation. Now, to start this week, I have on the line with me both Tom Hendrickson, president of Vetify, and Emil Tarazi, co-founder and former CEO of Logically, and now head of product at Logically. And you may have seen this a few weeks ago. Vetify acquired Logically, who, in a nutshell, Logically is a web-based platform allowing advisors and uh, asset managers to conduct in-depth investment research, obviously including, and I would say specifically specializing in ETFs. 
And so we're going to spend a few minutes discussing that acquisition and what it means for both Vetify and Logically. And then because you know I'm uh, pretty hands-on, I learn much better by doing, we're actually going to look at some Vetify uh, platform engagement data around ETFs, which, uh, of course, Tom and I always like to do. But we're going to do so through the lens of Logically and some of the data and analytics they can provide. I think you'll uh, really enjoy this. So without further ado, let's just jump right in now. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. We can deliver value to that advisor because that's what they're telling that they want to engage in. We want to make sure that we're putting the right pieces of content in front of them at the right time. Tom, Emil, congratulations on the uh, new partnership and welcome to the podcast. Nate, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Um, thanks, Nate. So, Tom, look, we uh, actually briefly mentioned this latest addition to the Vetify platform a few weeks ago on the podcast, but we really didn't have uh, much of an opportunity to dig in. And so I- I've got to tell you, I'm thrilled to get to do so this uh, week with both uh, you and Emil. And I-, I thought to set the backdrop here, do you want to just tell us a-, a little bit more about the acquisition itself from Vetify's perspective and uh, perhaps how this complements what you're already doing? Yeah, I'd love to, Nate, and thanks for that opportunity. So, so first and foremost, uh, Vetify as an issuer services company, we're always looking for ways to add to the suite of capabilities that can provide value to our audience, our B2C audience, folks who are engaging in our web-based platforms and, and using that to make uh, investment research decisions and uh, understand portfolio construction and ultimately add value to their uh, financial lives and logically fits squarely in in the center of that opportunity for us. It's a company that, you know, and Neil can give you the origin story, I'm sure. He's been building over the last number of years, and, and it really started with the people and the culture that Emil had built uh, as extremely attractive to us before getting into the nuts and bolts and all the really exciting analytical capabilities that were complementary to Vetify. But the people and culture uh, really were emblematic of, you know, market expertise with deep technical expertise, so understood the markets very, very well. Um, Emil can speak to his background and, you know, the depth of uh, understanding he has in the world of trading ETFs, for example, but many others on the team have similar backgrounds. And and an understanding of the web and using a digital platform as a way to engage in in an audience. And I think that 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 combination was really exciting to us, and and it really started with uh, with the people and the culture. But there's three incremental things that I'd point to that are are truly, uh, you know, made this a, almost a no-brainer for us. It's extremely complementary from the, the, the tool set, uh, so the, the ability for us. We've got a, a broad audience at, at uh, Vetify. We engage with, uh, you know, millions of users, uh, and, and we provide them value in a whole host of ways. But, but the tool set that Emil and team built at Logically enables us to go deeper, so really an audience depth offering where we could go deeper into the portfolio and and double click and double click and double click again in ways that you know we didn't have those tools across the platform second would be the the global nature of the coverage you know um, more than 13,000 funds covered and and you know even more from an individual security perspective and then you know the thing that maybe is not quite as well known and Mio can speak to this as well but 
we're always looking for ways where we can help our issuer partners be more efficient and effective in the way that they're able to allocate internal resource. So there was an issuer solutions approach that uh, logically built as well, where we're working with a lot of the same clients and partners in different ways, but all with an eye towards how can Vetify uh, enable those partners to focus on what they're truly best at and, you know, building investment product and, you know, investment uh, IP and delivering that to an audience and, and how can we, um, you know, do more with them so that they can focus on that, ultimately resulting in, in better investor outcomes. So it, it's a whole, uh, uh, you know, realm of reasons why this made a lot of sense, Nate, but, you know, the people, the culture, the depth of the audience, the global nature, and the unique opportunity to add to our issuer solutions offering were, were all things that were certainly top on the list. Emil, Tom alluded to the uh, origin story of Logically, and listeners know I always love a good background story because as an entrepreneur myself, I know how hard it is to start and uh, and build and cultivate a business. It's not easy, right? And so I'd love to hear your backstory. Why did you start Logically? Uh, How has the business evolved from maybe where you first began? And Perhaps tell us about a few features that uh, you're most proud of that you think differentiate you in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Nick, for, for having me uh, on the podcast. Um, but re- really, logically, it was started to help ETF issuers tell the story about their funds and effectively, you know, how, essentially how to bridge the gap, uh, communication gap between issuers and advisors. Um, you know, just to go back a little bit, you know, my background's in computer engineering. I joined Wall Street as a trader uh, when ETFs were, uh, you know, back in 2006, ETFs were $700 billion in assets in AUM, and then uh, uh, participated in uh, market making and ran the lead market making book and really saw uh, the evolution of ETFs and the number of products grow and assets grow. Uh, up until 2017, uh, when I left the trading market making world, um, and, uh, decided to start logically. At that point, I had worked with, uh, many issuers and, you know, the whole life cycle of an ETF from, uh, listing it, uh, seeding it, um, and, and just really bringing it to life into, into the markets. Um, through that experience, uh, we noticed that you know issuers needed to tell a story about their funds. It wasn't just uh, coming up with a good idea and, and creating a, you know putting an ETF wrapper around it. It was really about you know what how do you explain uh, the liquidity concepts behind an ETF? How do you uh, talk about ETFs as building blocks in a portfolio? So. Uh, the idea behind Logically was really to uh, be the engine that drives uh, asset manager and, and advisor engagement. Uh, so some of our first tools that we built uh, were uh, a tool called True Liquidity and True Cost. And uh, essentially the idea behind it was uh, to look into the underlying holdings of a fund, um, and sort of uh, you know, communicate around the, the fact that the liquidity of the underlying may be much deeper than the liquidity of the fund. So 
So, you know, through my experience with, uh, with issuers, many issuers would come to me and say, you know, um, my clients don't want to trade this fund because it only has, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand shares of volume every day. And I need to trade much more than that. Um, the reality is with a tool like True Liquidity, you can look at the holdings, uh, apply what's called a transaction cost analysis, not to get into too many details on uh, the math of, of it all, but using that you can uh, essentially say, oh, well, actually you can uh, trade $100 million of this with very little impact cost. Uh, and what the tool did was sort of bring all this information to the front in a nice visual way, be able to uh, potentially write, you know, generate a report that you could put in front of clients that showed, showcased that liquidity. And that really resonated with issuers. Um, it was a way of you know, communicating that liquidity piece uh, in, a, in, a simple, uh, in a simple manner. Um, so that's really you know, some of the, how we got started. Uh, from there, as, as Tom was alluding to, we, we uh, um, started building out really a whole suite of uh, services and solutions for ETF issuers um, to meet a lot of the uh, their day-to-day needs uh, on their website. So um, there are sort of compliance and transparency requirements uh, for ETF issuers. Um, the Logically API and platform uh, helps drive issuer websites and also can provide tools for uh, both internal, uh, you know, uh, uh, wholesaler or uh, salesperson engagement, but also uh, can be used to, to engage with investors and clients and advisors that may be interested in learning more about the funds um, and want to take a deeper look, maybe want to compare uh, your fund with a competitor's. Um, so, we really provide this sort of turnkey white glove solution uh, to really power up uh, ETF issuer's website. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, uh, because we had all this data, uh, we started building a web-based platform, which, which we call Logically Platform, uh, for advisors. That platform uh, allows advisors to uh, log in um, and access high-quality global data and analytics. Uh, there's a special focus on ETFs. Actually, we have something like 13,000 uh, globally listed ETFs and their holdings and flow information on the platform. Um, but it goes a lot deeper, as, as Tom was alluding to. There's uh, uh, Portfolio analysis tools that uh, that allow you to analyze and understand how what I call ETF building blocks fit together. Um, you want to always be sure, you know, ensure that uh, two different funds work together. You're not overexposing yourself to any particular uh, stocks or factor risks. So you really need a tool that can. Uh, run quick back tests and then do a net exposure look through 
um, on the holdings and, and uh, bring that information in a very nice visual interactive way and then being able to output that data to PDFs or Excel spreadsheets is also very important for you know, proposal generation or just maybe compliance or record keeping to show that you've done your due diligence and research. So the Logically platform has a lot of these features and uh, applications for, for discovery and, and analysis. Now, that's great background. I mean, clearly a comprehensive uh, platform. And by the way, the website, is it the uh, logically.finance? Is that correct? That's exactly right, yeah. Logically is uh, L-O-G-I-C-L-Y. Uh, but you can go there. Um, actually, today we, uh, uh, if you, you can sign up uh, and get a free trial uh, on the platform and access a lot of the features we've talked about today. So as I was thinking through our uh, our conversation today, I thought, what better way to highlight what logically can bring to the table than to go through some Vetify engagement data and uh, look at it through the logically lens? Like I said at the top, uh, I, I know Tom knows I'm a hands-on person. I learn best by doing, so I thought this would be the perfect way to at least give listeners a, uh, a flavor for some of Logically's capabilities. And, of course, Tom, regular listeners uh, are very well aware, I believe just about every quarter we go through the latest engagement data on uh, which ETFs are seeing the biggest uptick in interest on the Vetify platform. And so I, I thought let's do that here, and we're not going to get too granular just because of uh, the, the time constraint. Maybe – in the future, we can get you know much deeper here into tickers and everything else. But what, what do you have for us this week on the engagement data side? So, Nate, it's really interesting and, and obviously you know uh, um, an extremely important uh, market dynamic that's playing out in, in real time here is is a, an extreme movement in interest rates. And so we're we're looking uh, a lot at the advisor data and, and the investor data around. Where within the fixed income asset class are are they gravitating, and, and how is that changing over time? As as you'd imagine, and so first off, as we look at the asset class level, you know the the interest generally across the Vetify platform in in everything fixed income, almost um, across the board, is 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 up and continues to show strong signs of engagement. And when I say up, I specifically mean the first quarter of 2023 over the fourth quarter of uh, 2022, and then into, you know, now that we're halfway through the second quarter, a persistence of that engagement. And then as we sort of double-click and we use our Explorer tool, uh, which is a, a tool that we have at Vetify uh, to surface, you know, particular trends within, um, you know, investor and advisor behavior, as we can go deeper within the fixed income com- complex, as you'd imagine, and, and so is it is it high yield? Is it corporate? Is it treasuries? You know, where are and, and this data that I'm going to bring to the surface is specifically financial advisor data. So the interest in treasury ETFs and everything in and around uh, the content, the tools, the tickers within the treasury ETF ecosystem. So we saw a 38% increase in the in the first quarter, uh, Nate, of this year over the fourth quarter of last year. And the fourth quarter is actually, you know, already up and continued to show engagement. That what we've got now and we're continuing to see is that as we go, like I mentioned, halfway through the second quarter of this year, there's persistence and actually increased interest in the Treasury ETF space. So 
as you could imagine, you know, people are looking at the yield curve and they're thinking about, you know, risk and duration and, and where, you know, where are they, you know, allocating their fixed income portfolio and, and you know, in a different rate environment, you know, is it more, uh, you know, some of the plain vanilla treasury style or is it more of the corporate style? And we're seeing, we're seeing more to the former and a continued engagement there. And, and so I think that that's an interesting area to double-click on, not because it's just so timely and relevant, but there's a broader theme here as well as the, uh, you know, the multi-year explosion in exposures that the ETF wrapper is able to uh, provide to the world of fixed income. Uh, it's something that you and I have talked about, Nate, and I think that as the ETF industry we should all be uh, somewhat proud of is, is the innovation that's happened and the democratization of ability to access things that, you know, five, seven, ten years ago uh, would have been a much more exclusive investment vehicle. So I, I found that really interesting. Not sure if you did as well. No, I, I do find that interesting, and I want to get Emil's take here in a moment. I guess I'll just add, and I've talked about this over the past, I don't know, six months, but when you look at where yields are at now, and if you can get, you know, roughly 5% yield risk-free, and you think about the uncertainty out there in the market environment right now between the, you know, this looming debt ceiling showdown, uh, we still have the regional banking stressor issues, uh, there's concerns about the economy potentially slowing, and, and the other thing is, what will the Fed do? You, you know, they haven't exactly uh, acquitted themselves well over the past few years, in my opinion, and so they're a little bit of a wild card uh, there too, and so I think advisors are looking at all of that, and uh, and saying, you know what, I'm content to scoop up five percent risk free and and wait to see what happens. Now, certainly, you know, longer term buy and hold allocators are going to maintain their positions, but if you have advisors who are maybe a little more tactical or even just making some alterations within a portfolio, it makes sense to me that they're looking to the Treasury ETF space. And I, I guess the other thing I'll add, you, you just noted the. Uh, the dichotomy there between treasuries and, say, uh, corporates, you know, obviously corporates and you, you get into high yield, uh, there, there, there's credit risk there. And if the economy does slow down and, and we have some issues, you, you may not want to take on that credit risk. So all of that, Tom, makes uh, perfect sense to me. But I, I think still interesting to see the data manifest itself, uh, you know, as you would expect on, on the platform. So, um, Emil, if we if we take that fixed income category and maybe treasury ETFs in particular, Give us a flavor for how a user of Logically might dive a little deeper here in looking at this category. Yeah, actually, so on the Logically platform, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we track uh, about 13,000 globally listed ETFs and their their daily flows. So uh, using flows and grouping them by category or peer group, allows us to really look into trends and see where investors are, are parking their money. Um, so you can go on the platform today. Actually, I uh, was checking this uh, earlier this morning. The clear uh, asset class winner, as, as has been mentioned, is, is fixed income. We've seen inflows growing the fixed income asset class uh, uh, in the U.S. year-to-date by nearly 7%, uh, where, whereas if you look at uh, the equity asset class, uh, which is which is slightly larger, but uh, inflows have only grown that, that segment by 1%. So in dollar terms, that's about $74 billion in inflows year-to-date in fixed income, uh, 
where the uh, fixed income AUM is uh, just slightly over 1.1 trillion uh, today. Uh, half of those uh, inflows, that 74 billion, is about you know, U.S. government bonds, is, and the other half is in uh, U.S. corporate high yield, as, as Tom was alluding to. So uh, we see those uh, those flows uh, really driving uh, that that market segment. And if you start to take a, a deeper look, you know, uh, double click, as Tom would say, into uh, sort of what parts of the yield curve those flows are going in. Uh, what's interesting is it's really all parts of uh, sort of Treasury and U.S. government bond uh, 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 maturities, uh, really both long and short, but really the clear uh, segment winner is in the ultra-short. Uh, ultra-short being you know, maybe less than a year, um, uh, you know, one, two, three months, six months, uh, or 12 months or less, where we see almost 10 billion year to date in these uh, short maturity uh, treasury funds. Um, and, uh, you know, the data the data updates daily. So that uh, daily flow transparency uh, is a great way to, uh, to keep track of trends. Yeah, and with your uh, point about the allocations across the yield curve. I think what you're seeing there, and again, I have talked a little bit about this recently as well, is advisors and, and, and investors taking a barbell approach, where, as I mentioned, there is still some uncertainty over what the Fed may do. They are a bit of a wild card. And if you have concerns that they may continue hiking rates, uh, even though we have inflation backing up a little bit, uh, you know, perhaps you want to stay shorter term. But at the same time, because of the potential slowdown in the economy, you, you might want to take on some duration by allocating to longer term treasuries if uh, if you think we may have a, a recession. So, you know, allocating there could be a little bit of a hedge. So that makes sense to me. Um, just a couple of minutes left. Emil, I know it's not a uh, a concern with treasury ETFs, but I know one of the potential concerns I still hear regarding uh, bond ETFs in general is the uh, the quote-unquote liquidity mismatch, right, between bond ETFs and their underlying and bond ETFs trading at a discount to NAV and, and those sorts of things. You know, I, I know we don't need to get into to the dynamics there. I guess what I'm curious about is any tools you offer in looking at those. I know earlier you mentioned the true liquidity tool. I don't know if that comes into play here. But just from a research perspective, uh, do, do you have some analytics around those those types of uh, concerns? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that uh, the, the true liquidity tool that we talked about earlier uh, definitely looks into um Understanding the the holdings of a fund is critical to understanding uh, the liquidity of uh, of the ETF. Um, with true liquidity, you uh, you you get analytics and metrics that surface that uh, those numbers. Um, with with bond funds, uh, you know the ETFs tend to be. Uh, generally, certain ETFs tend to be more liquid. Um, there's uh, something like the top 20 uh, ETFs by uh, ADV we consider sort of benchmark funds. And uh, really the liquidity of that market helps drive uh, the liquidity of uh, all the other uh, ETFs. So there is actually quite a healthy market, and we've seen it 
in, uh, in, in previous sort of uh, stress periods in the market where uh, the, the ETFs do actually lead. Um, and, and, you know, th these tools and uh, like true liquidity and our analytics on our fund screener can help surface uh, some of this information. Well, Tom Emil, again, congratulations on this uh, new partnership. I'm excited to dive into the Logically platform myself. I actually have a, uh, a demo set up, which I'm looking forward to. But congratulations, and uh, thank you both for joining me this week. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. That was Tom Hendrickson, president of Vetify, and Emil Tarazi, head of product at Logically. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Discover Amplify's high-quality and high-income ETFs designed to provide you monthly income. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. Visit Amplify ETFs to view a prospectus, which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Critical minerals like lithium, copper, uranium, and nickel are in high demand and short supply, but they're critical to the accelerating transition to cleaner energy. Find out how Sprott's suite of energy transition ETFs can help you access a potentially powerful opportunity. Visit SprottETFs.com to learn more. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Asset allocation or diversification does not guarantee investment returns and does not eliminate the risk of loss. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein from Sprott Asset Management USA Inc., Sprott Asset Management LP, Sprott Inc., or any other spot entity or affiliate. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of writing. Still, no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. The information provided is general in nature and is provided with the understanding that it may not be relied upon as nor considered to be the rendering of tax, legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult their own accountants and or lawyers for advice on their specific circumstances before taking any action. Valkyrie, who currently offers two ETFs, the Valkyrie Bitcoin Miners ETF, ticker WGMI, great ticker symbol, and that's currently the top-performing unleveraged ETF of 2023, and they also offer a Bitcoin Futures ETF, the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF, ticker symbol BTF. Now, in addition to those two products, Valkyrie offers several uh, crypto trusts for accredited investors, including a Bitcoin trust. They have a hedge fund, the Valkyrie Opportunistic Fund, which is pretty interesting. And then they offer crypto-focused SMAs. And Leah is now on the line with me from Nashville, Tennessee. Leah, so great to finally have you on the podcast. I feel like long overdue. <laughs> Hi, Nate. Thanks so much for having me, and um, it's, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. All right. So, look, a lot of places we can go, but I'm not really one for uh, building suspense. And so I'm going to ask you right out of the gate about this Ether Futures ETF that Valkyrie filed for on Friday. Please don't kill me. 
And I know you can't speak specifically to that filing for obvious uh, regulatory reasons. But here's what I'll ask you. Um, can you just give us any color at all as to why the time might be right for this product now? Because we saw, I believe, four other issuers file for Ether Futures ETFs last week. Uh, has something changed here recently where perhaps the SEC might be more inclined to approve these? Right. I think that's a great question. Um, we did file the application on Friday. Again, we have been hearing from investors for a long time that they're looking to diversify in the digital asset ecosystem through the ETFs, but also the appetite for an Ether product. I think that many of the other issuers have heard the same things from the investors that they speak to. Now, what's interesting is that Ethereum and Bitcoin, capital B for the blockchain, have different utility. So some do see Bitcoin as found money and Ethereum as a world computer, quote unquote, So I think that, and we think that given those differences, the SEC may be able to classify them differently. Maybe we'll start getting uh, guidance on if Ether is a security or not. Um, But throwing the hat in the ring right now uh, allows all of us to stay more on the pulse and engage with the regulators in D.C. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think you're right in terms of how Ether is classified. And, And you don't have to respond or comment to this. I'll just say that my take is that the uh, grayscale lawsuit against the SEC has made things a little difficult for the SEC in that if you think about this, the SEC is basically doing everything they can to defend the fact that they allowed CME-traded Bitcoin futures ETFs to come to market. And so if the SEC feels that strongly to defend those products in court, then I I think the question could be raised, why would they also not support CME-traded Ether Futures ETF? So my my opinion is I think they're in, uh, you know, a bit of a difficult spot here. And I I think these Ether ETFs might actually be approved. I guess we'll see. But um, let me ask you this, Leah. Speaking of Grayscale's lawsuit against the SEC, I'd love to hear your perspective on the current regulatory environment around crypto-related ETFs. I mean, obviously the SEC has not gotten comfortable with a spot Bitcoin ETF. Grayscale did file this lawsuit, which even if they're successful, there's certainly no guarantee that uh, that changes anything. So what, what do you think about that situation with the lawsuit and more broadly just how the SEC has approached crypto regulation? I know Valkyrie has tried pursuing a spot Bitcoin ETF. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we have since January 2021. Um, thus far, the general market consensus seems to be favoring Grayscale in that suit. However, what we still believe is that the major hurdle for approval actually lies with the crypto exchanges. So Chairman Gensler has been explicit that until an exchange comes under the purview of the SEC, a spot Bitcoin ETF is not going to be approved. And this does not happen still. So to note, he has always been explicit. When the Bitcoin futures ETFs were approved, he said that he was comfortable with an ETF that held CME futures in a 40-act wrapper. So really, until we see an exchange register, we're going to remain cautiously optimistic. In the meantime, though, the Grayscale lawsuit, all eyes are on it, for sure. Um, But Grayscale could and should have lowered fees for the trust, and they haven't. Um, A few days ago, one of the most vocally anti-Bitcoin members of the Hill, Congressman Sherman, published a note to the SEC urging them to examine the unethical practices of GBTC. So I say that because I think that D.C. is catching up generally. 
There is no mechanism right now to auto-convert Grayscale's listed product into an ETF. So even if there's a positive ruling in the Grayscale suit, this doesn't mean that their ETF would be converted, nor that they would be first in line. So there's a lot to watch. We are positively optimistic, if you will. Um, but the shakeout and, and what happens afterward, even post-positive ruling, if that happens, uh, could is anyone's game. Okay, so a couple of things to unpack there. And, uh, you know, again, I'll give you a free pass if you prefer to avoid delving too deeply into this topic. I'm just not sure what you can publicly speak to. But my understanding is that Valkyrie has taken uh, what I'd call an activist position against the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC. Basically, a proposal to uh, become the new sponsor and manager uh, of the trust. Is there anything further that you can tell us about that situation? You you just mentioned it, you know, you alluded to it, but is there anything deeper you can tell us about that? That's right. uh, We did put in a bid. It is pretty interesting, actually. Valkyrie, uh, we co-founded it, me and Stephen McClurg, on the premise of going to market with a GBTC competitor, our Bitcoin trust, which we launched in January 21. Uh, 2021, which is a grantor trust. So it's always been what we've been looking at is ensuring that there's a structurally, um, a well-structured, transparent, democratic trust that the market can buy, especially well-suited for the platforms and institutions. In regards to our activism or the rest of the injuries activism, there's been a groundswell. So if you look at the Redeeming Bitcoin ETF, again, uh, a lot on the ground of the Bitcoiners, if you will, but also the large institutions that you've seen with the lawsuits coming from Fertree and others. Uh, there is a lot of fire from the industry and the larger shareholders of GBTC to see either a conversion or generally redemptions opening up, regams filed for, and or management fees simply lowered. There's there's anger and there's been anger for a long time now. So. I think it's something to watch as, again, uh, a lot of the shareholders band up, if you will. Now, will they file, um, you know, to be determined, but they definitely are pressuring the background. I I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. The lower fees make uh, perfect sense to me. I believe right now GBTC is charging, what, 2% on NAV? Uh, something like that. But, um, you know, I think the real issue gets into the discount. So last I checked, GBTC is currently trading at around a 40% discount. Is that the main thing? Is is a thought that there is a way for them to close that discount? Because I know there's been some back and forth on Reg M and, and what they can do there. Again, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but is that really what it boils down to? Right, that's right. Opening up uh, the trust for redemptions, especially given that NAV, there was always an arbitrage play that was played until 2021 when that discount presented itself because there was notoriously a premium. Um, so a lot of the investors have been locked up since then uh, and unable to get out. Now with the discount, it's even more enticing to do so, but also frustrating for those shareholders that have been stuck on the primary level. By the way, going back to your point on the SEC and, uh, you know, Gensler has been crystal clear that he wants oversight of crypto exchanges before, you know, they'll approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. I, I agree with you. I, you know, I don't think anything's going to change until that happens, but it will be interesting to see what happens if Grayscale wins the lawsuit. I've actually uh, posited that perhaps the SEC 
forces the closure delisting of futures-based ETFs. I don't know how realistic that is. I just know that uh, Gensler has been, again, crystal clear regarding his oversight of uh, crypto exchanges. And by the way, again, I know you can't speak to this, but I saw yesterday that Valkyrie filed for the uh, the Valkyrie Bitcoin Futures Leverage Strategy <laughs> ETF, which I love this ticker symbol. And I'll just give the ticker and we'll leave it at that. It's BTFD. So uh, that has to be one of the best in the crypto space if it comes to... Uh, <laughs> fruition. But um, Leah, let's move on here. I, I do want to briefly cover the two existing Valkyrie ETFs, and then we can talk broader crypto markets. And so the first ETF you offer is WGMI, another great ticker symbol. That's the Valkyrie Bitcoin Miners ETF, which, as I mentioned, is having a, a huge year, uh, up nearly 130% as of this morning. Can you just take us through some of the basics? What, what does this hold? Absolutely. So the Bitcoin miners ETFs do provide exposure to publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies that are mainly located here in North America. I think what's easy to understand is that it's very akin to gold versus gold miners, if you're thinking about trading. Um, Historically, miners have underperformed in bear markets and overperformed in bull markets. So Bitcoin price appreciation has really been helping these miners this year. We can definitely go into why we think it's, it's overperformed Bitcoin's price. Uh, but really in its basic form, there are a good amount of publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies here in the U.S. and in Canada. So that ETF uh, holds such. What's interesting is if I look at the other quote-unquote blockchain ETFs on the market, overall WGMI has popped much more this year than those other products. Any thoughts as to why that is? Right. The Bitcoin, our Bitcoin miners ETF is actively managed. And I think that's a huge advantage for us uh, and for uh, any of the investors in this product. Uh, there is a lot of quick moves that happen in the Bitcoin industry and definitely a lot of news based events for the mining companies. Uh, they can be very volatile, which if you're an actively uh, you know, an active portfolio manager is is a great opportunity, and I think that we've seized that opportunity. One thing I'm watching for in this space is just flows, because I've been a little bit surprised, given the performance this year, that there haven't been uh, greater inflows, not, not only into WGMI, but just across the entire, again, quote-unquote, blockchain uh, ETF space. So I, something I'll be watching moving forward. Um, okay, the other ETF you offer is the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF, ticker BTF. This holds CME-traded Bitcoin futures. I think pretty uh, straightforward exposure in that regard. But anything in particular you would highlight with this ETF? Yeah, what I think is interesting for this ETF, beyond the mechanics of um, you know, for ours, we're still on front month futures. Everything has been tracking very well. So I think it has a fairly well-established track record, all of us issuers with Bitcoin futures ETF, uh, for tracking spot. But what I think many investors don't think about is that it really takes out all the scariness in the background of trying to figure out yourself how to trade and custody and the inner workings of the digital asset ecosystem, which may be kind of scary or uncomfortable, Um, and instead you can have an active manager who is well-versed in this space um, be able to navigate that background. Also, those service providers in the industry, unless you have scale, can be very expensive. It also determines on who you're working with. Custodians can be exceedingly expensive. 
So buying spot and navigating with transaction fees or exchanges and uh, all that it encompasses, especially if you want to keep your Bitcoin safe, is actually very expensive. Now, what I personally think is very important, and I know this is pretty nerdy, but at Valkyrie, you know, we eat, sleep, and breathe Bitcoin. Some of our folks on the team were on the original Satoshi mailing list, which is, you know, when Bitcoin's code was first announced to the world. And some of our traders have been around trading since 2013 on these real clunky, technologically heavy exchanges. So, again, we all know the traditional advantages of ETFs. We understand that this is a fairly basic product. Um, but again, unless you know how to navigate the ecosystem, and unfortunately last year it was, as we all know, exceedingly rampant with fraudsters and scammers from what we all believe to be uh, reputable companies, a lot of people got hurt. So it's very important, I think, that in the background, us issuers know exactly who to work with for prime time who can be trusted in order to keep this in a safe way. Obviously, it being CME paper futures helps a lot in that front, but there still are a lot of industry players that you need to be watching, as well as underlying. And I think it's still potentially a little complicated right now, given what happened last year. I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'll actually take your point a little bit further, because what you're alluding to there is something that I've talked about in the past, and what I call this is crypto street cred. And the way that I would describe this, we can say, okay, we can look at the different Bitcoin futures ETFs on the market and say, uh, you know, they're relatively similar. But the way you have to think about this, and I'm not advocating for one issue over another, but I, I think my point will come across, which is that let's say you're an advisor and you own a Bitcoin futures ETF and you want to be able to have access to comprehensive research and understand exactly why the market's moving the way it is and some of the potential dynamics moving forward. Well, you need somebody who has crypto expertise to do that, right? <laughs> and and I know, you know, Valkyrie, for example, I, I read your research. You put out fantastic research continually. It's in-depth. You, you have a you know deep bench of, uh, of people who have been involved both in the traditional markets and in the crypto markets, and so they understand how to talk to advisors. So, you know, again, everybody do your own, your own homework, but I think that's what you're getting at there. And I I am a believer in, uh, you know, that crypto street cred. And really, that could be any segment of the market, right? If you're allocating to high-yield bonds, you want somebody who's an expert in the high-yield bond space. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll, uh, I guess getting, you know, into that a little bit more, just as I think about your business model, and we'll talk crypto markets here in a moment. But can, can you tell me a little bit more about your overall business that you're building with Valkyrie? Because besides these ETFs, you know, I mentioned this at the top. I show you offer those three crypto trusts. Uh, so Bitcoin, Polkadot, and Zilliqua. Uh, you have that hedge fund, the Valkyrie Opportunistic uh, Fund. And then you also offer crypto SMA. So just high level, how are you attempting to position the firm within the crypto uh, product marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. So again, if you think about the composite whole of Valkyrie's product suite, there's a little bit of something for everybody, if you will. The SMAs we've been attempting to launch for a few years now, but again, we were not comfortable with the service providers to service those SMAs for the advisors. So those are the traditional SMAs that we think about in this space. They're targeted at advisors and TA uh, and financial advisors and can be slotted uh, onto the platforms and integrated into TAMP. Um, and that just wasn't ready until more recently. So we've just launched that, and we've been excited about that for a while because that's been, uh, for a very long time, 
actually the method that a lot of the advisors told us they wanted to access these digital assets. The difference that we have there and across the product suite that you'll see uh, beyond the grantor trust, which are, you know, traditional grantor trust that's buy and hold, the rest are actively managed. Our ETFs, our opportunistic funds, the SMAs, they're all risk managed. So that's something that we pride ourselves on and think is exceedingly important. It's something that, you know, we've talked about already on, on, on this podcast here, Nate, but uh, unless you can understand intimately the market dynamics of digital assets or uh, exposure instruments to digital assets, it's, it's very important that you are uh, on the pulse of the market and managing accordingly. If there's one thing every investor has likely learned this year and last is that you can't just sit even if you think that something is safe like treasuries. So you need to constantly be hedging accordingly, and that's something our team does and is going to continue to be focused on. So in those SMAs, we can go into cash, et cetera. So that's, that's definitely the focus of our product. By the way, I mentioned earlier I'm not advocating uh, for one issuer over another, but one thing that I will say is that Valkyrie has to have one of the best brand names in asset <laughs> management. Which where, where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stephen, again, Stephen McClurg being my co-founder, he hails from Guggenheim Partners. A lot of uh, our team members do. We're a bit obsessed with mythology. Admittedly, even my daughter's name is Athena, so we can't get away from it. But Valkyrie, we thought, was a very powerful name. Um, Valkyries are uh, the Norse female warriors who really guardians and arbiters who would go onto the battlefield and tell, you know, the, the fallen warriors who was worthy of going to Valhalla or not. Uh, and we thought that as we entered this crazy space, and again, with what we believe to be democratic products that, you know, would fulfill the need uh, uh, against the GBPC products, we, we kind of wanted to take this ethos on. So appreciate it, and we're a bit obsessed with mythology over here, and it's important. Yeah, I love that. I remember when you filed for your first ETF, and I, I just hadn't heard of your firm before. That just jumped right <laughs> out at me. I, I, I love that. Um, okay, Leah, <laughs> with, with our remaining time, let's close by discussing the uh, the current crypto markets. And as I know you're well aware, you, you look at Bitcoin, at least as of this morning, it's up about 65% year-to-date. Ether is up over 50%. There are a number of other crypto assets having uh, really good years. But the bottom line is the market has uh, somewhat bounced back after an absolutely brutal 2022. So I'll just open this up to you. What do you think are some key drivers here? And perhaps what are you watching for moving forward? Yeah, good question. Um, And I think maybe it is important to break it down from a fundamental analysis perspective and technical analysis perspective. From a fundamental analysis perspective, we do look at also on-chain data. Um, So I guess just stepping back even further, there have been some interesting events that have impacted to start with Bitcoin. Um, Again, the tax loss harvesting in 2022 was quite huge. Uh, that was, you know, obviously related to sell-off and buyback, and that changed the dynamics in a positive way. Uh, there's also been something called ordinals and NFTs on Bitcoin. This is new, and this has actually driven a lot of on-chain activity. Miners have gotten a lot more uh, capital from this, and this has actually kind of revamped uh, the Bitcoin blockchain in a different way. Um, but there's been a lot of buying and selling on the Bitcoin blockchain because of this new 
uh, technology, again, similar to NFTs that we're familiar with last year. There's also been a lot of commerce that's taking place on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so from a general activity perspective, uh, there has been a lot um, that's happened. So that's interesting in light of, again, a lot of the institutional investors have remained on the sidelines this year. Um, obviously, regulatory uh, uncertainty, et cetera, but it, it has performed very well. And something I think is interesting for maybe uh, the listeners to understand is that um, these digital assets are very much core to their communities. And if communities are strong and healthy, the developers are interested and working, that is the importance of building and, and honestly leads to the price appreciation of these coins. So the scary thing is if you look at any of these alternative coins or Bitcoin and nothing's happening. That's what we're looking for as well. But if there's activity, if there's on-chain where you're seeing miners getting involved, uh, although you should remain, you know, adherent to what you're seeing in technical analysis, this actually is some of the most important data points for understanding if there's going to be long-term health. Um, So just from a, a TA perspective, you know, we are still feeling um, fairly bearish. We're a bit concerned. We're seeing a head and shoulders pattern. Uh, but if you look out from more of a, again, long-term investor perspective, there's a couple of events that are happening in Bitcoin. Uh, one is called the halving. I won't get into it right now, uh, but it's a very bullish event for Bitcoin, again, and the technical code. Um, from an East perspective, it's also the same. There was a very successful code upgrade that was called the Shanghai upgrade. Staking on ETH went, unlocking went successfully. Developer activity is continuing. And there's actually been a lot of trad by traditional finance um, experiments with the digital asset ecosystem of tokenizing assets, KKR and Avalanche or AVAX, which is their native token, um, kind of famously made some headlines last year on that. And typically, when there's positive developments on other alternative coins, you will see uh, correlative um, price appreciation with ETH. Now, Bitcoin and ETH sometimes aren't as correlated now as they used to be, as people are starting and investors are starting to see them differently. But again, as much as there's concerns in the market from every other larger money manager, uh, there has been positive developments in those ecosystems themselves. And that does matter. Leah, with Bitcoin in particular, I, I would say three broader factors that I've seen investors point to as to why it's performing uh, better this year would be obviously the, the regional banking crisis or whatever you want to call it and just concerns about uh, you know storing money in, in those banks and looking at some alternatives. Of course, the debt ceiling showdown that we have coming up and some of the concerns around that and then a potential Fed pivot. I, I'm just curious, do you have any thoughts on on any of those factors and, and pot- potentially how they're driving Bitcoin this year? Yeah, absolutely. It is, of course, interesting to see the inverse relationship of, unfortunately, the bank failures in the U.S. and traditional markets uh, to the price appreciation of Bitcoin. Uh, from a Bitcoiner stance, we say, be your own bank. And there's been an interesting uh, belief, again, that Bitcoin may be a safe deposit box, if you will, while we're concerned about the banks and you've seen money inflows to that effect. 
there also has been um, a difficulty in the crypto ecosystem of the companies building in uh, crypto to secure banking access. And uh, quite a few has been um, taken off their own banks. When that happens, they are using native crypto methods. So many service providers are accepting in crypto and they're transacting directly in crypto uh, while uh, the the uh, banking situation is getting figured out. Uh, also, of course, we do believe those macro factors. Inflation is always a common topic. And as Bitcoin is a deflationary asset, we do believe that store of value principle for Bitcoin can become more in the limelight here. And some people do believe uh, that it is acting uh, in, in, in that manner. Well, Leah, great stuff this week. Uh, I think you and I could talk for several hours. Maybe we'll have to do a longer form podcast at some point, but really enjoyed the conversation this week. So glad to have you on. Thank you for joining me. Same here. Thank you so much, Nate. That was Leah Wald, CEO of Valkyrie. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. Next week, I'll be down at the Inside ETFs Conference in Hollywood, Florida. Honestly, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing for the uh, podcast yet, but I'll definitely have something, so stay tuned on that. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Same as the whole world.